0: We've been in this series now for a few weeks on Plan B, and the whole idea of Plan B is what do you do when God doesn't show up the way that you expect Him to show up? What happens when you have these plans for your life and that your dreams become shattered? When you have these expectations and they become unmet? Because a lot of us, when we grew up, Uh, We had these dreams, we had these things that we wanted to become, we wanted to do, we wanted to experience, and they're not happening. We wanted to have the perfect marriage, we wanted to have the perfect kids, we wanted to have the perfect job, we wanted to retire when we were, you know, 60 or 40 or whatever your your goal was at that point. We have these things that we expect in our life, and now we don't have the marriage that we thought we're going to have. We ended in, you know, our marriage ended in divorce. We don't have the job because maybe you lost your job or maybe you're in a dead-end job. And your kids, maybe they're off doing who knows what and you have no control over what's going on in their life. Maybe your finances aren't where you thought they would be and there's just no way you're going to be able to retire even at the age of 80. I mean, it's just one of those things that just keeps going on. These things, you, you have these shattered dreams in your life. You have these unmet expectations. We have a dream and we have a hope. And all of a sudden there comes this threat and there comes this crisis in our life. And we've looked at a few people um, in, in the last few weeks First week we looked at David And we looked at how he was anointed king of Israel And he ran away because he was threatened uh, By the existing king at that point point. And uh, he abandoned basically his God-given values To try to hold on to this God-given dream And he tried to control and manipulate Those things which he couldn't control and manipulate There was no way he was going to maintain them then the next week, we looked at Joseph. And uh, he was a guy that all kinds of things happened to him. But no matter what happened, he continued to trust in God. He continued to, to, to put his faith in God. And, and throughout the scripture, it kept saying, and God is with him, and God was with him, and God was with him. And we said that, what would Joseph do? He said he would do what anybody would do that was confident that God was with them. And we are, are we going live, to live our life confident that God was with us? And, and last week, we looked at the story of Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and how they were really mad that their their brother was sick and they called for Jesus and Jesus never showed up uh, when he was sick and Je- and Lazarus ended up dying and as Jesus came back to that place you know Martha said where were you why weren't you here and we said there is a relationship there is a clear relationship between crisis and hope and that God he's not doing something to us but God may be doing something in and through us and we, we don't doubt God's power because like Martha said, God, if you would have been here, Jesus, if you would have been here, I know you could have done something. So, And we know that. We know that you know God, he could do something if we want him to. He could save this marriage. He could help us financially. He could help my children. So we don't doubt God's power, but what we do doubt is God's timing. Say, God, I need it now. And God's saying, ah, maybe you need to wait. And we said we need to rest in him while we're waiting. And this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about this person of Job. Uh, you know, this isn't the story I was planning on talking about this week, uh, but this is my plan B for the week, uh, because as I was, in the beginning of the week, I kind of got some virus thing going on, and, and I was just trying to get well and uh, better, and, and what better place when you're not feeling well is to read the story of Job, because it makes you feel well if you haven't read the story of Job. Um one thing I want to talk to you though about before we talk about job is this whole idea of the wall. Anybody uh, run marathons? anybody run a marathon? You know what I'm talking about when I talk when I say the wall? It's this place where you get and it's different for everybody uh, where you hit where you don't feel like you can do it anymore and you like you hit the wall and you have a choice. you can either quit, you can walk away or you can push through the wall and if you push through the wall somehow somewhere deep inside there's this energy and there's, there's this extra thing that gets you through. One of the biggest distortions, I believe, in Christianity today is this phrase. And some of you are going to be ticked off at me right here because you've used this phrase. I've used this phrase to tell other people. But this is a distortion in Christianity. God will never give you more than you can handle. How many of you have said it? Come on. There we go. How many of you, somebody has told you that and you just want to slap them upside the head? Yeah, yeah. Here's the truth. Throughout your life, you will face one situation after another that will be completely beyond what you can handle. The wall is when you reach your limits of what you are capable of doing. This is when your world gets turned upside down. It could be a divorce. It could be a betrayal. It could be a job loss. It could be a death. It could be a deep depression. This is when you feel as if your faith doesn't work and you have more questions than you do answers and i think this is kind of a difficult truth to grab onto. that but but that god loves you enough listen god loves you enough to strip you of anything that will keep you from him and that's what happens at the wall and it's painful because we are being stripped but it's essential because that's where there is transformation from being what you believe in your head to belief that penetrates every fiber of your being. The wall, listen, the wall is where I must relinquish what I cling to for my identity. I have to give that up. One of the best examples of someone hitting the wall would have to be found in the Old Testament. It, it, it's it's got to be Job. And I just want to start in Job. Let's just start in chapter 1, verse 1. Here it is. And I never know how to pronounce this this uh, this city. Is it Uz? Is it Uz? Is it Ugg? I don't know. But I'll just say Uz for, uh, for the time being. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Wow, this guy probably has a pretty good life, I would think. You know, he's doing what God's asked him to do. He's living upright and all these other things. And the story takes place in the land of Uz. And not to be confused with the land of Oz, where there's, you know, where there's short people and scarecrows and lions and a bunch of monkeys flying around. So don't, it's, they're two different cities, all right? Scholars believe that the land of Uz is actually uh, the modern-day Israel is where that would be right now. We're told right off the bat in, in Job chapter 1 that he is an honest and innocent man. He's a good man, and good things are happening to him. It's almost as if he was experiencing good things in direct proportion to the good that he does. And while most of us know deep down inside this isn't the way that life works out, most of us still hold on to this thread of belief this is the way that life should work. I do good, something good should happen to me. I do bad, something bad should happen to me. You know what that's called? It's called contract faith. That is, do good and be blessed, do evil and be punished. But in the land of ooze, it's different. It's a place where very bad things can happen to very good people. John Ortenberg, who was a pastor at Willow Creek uh, years ago, describes it like this, ooze will be a place not just where suffering comes, but where it comes without warning and without explanation, creating confusion And despair. Ooze, us, or whatever you want to call it, I like ooze because that's kind of what you know. It makes you feel like ooze, all the bad stuff that's happening. Ooze, in other words, is land of shattered dreams and Plan B, because a lot of us we're not living our Plan A life. We're all sudden we're thrust into our Plan B lives. And you may be familiar with the story of Job, and and you to know that the first part of his Plan B situation consists of here's here's what's happened to him. The first thing that happened to him is he lost his livestock, he lost his wealth, his servants, his children, pretty much everything that Job cared about, he lost. And and here's the crazy thing, basically, he is subject to a bet between God and Satan. And, and, And what they're betting on is how Job will respond to losing everything. And how does he respond? Initially, with an almost superhuman good attitude. And I look at this and say, "Job, you idiot! What? How can you? I would be, I'd be pissed off. You know, I'd be ticked." Here is what he says: Job chapter one, verse twenty. When Job heard this, he got up and tore his robe and shaved his head to show how sad he was. That's what they did in that culture. They just tore their clothes, they rent their clothes, and they just, they just, you know, and they covered themselves with ashes. Then he bowed down to the ground to worship God. He said, "I was naked when I was born." and I will be naked when I die. The Lord gave these things to me. He has taken them away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or blame God. I couldn't do that. I lose my job. I'm ticked. Something gets taken away from me that I think I deserve. I'm not a happy camper. I'm mad at God. God, why, why, why? I don't get it. This is an interesting passage because this, the story of Job it basically has two storylines. There's a story that's playing out on earth with Job. Then there's this whole other story that's playing in the, in the spiritual realm between God and Satan. And I never understood this really. And, and before all this happened, Satan made a key point. Because God, it's really interesting. If you look, read the Job, it says this several times, that the Son of God, the Son of God, the sons of God came to God. And Satan came with them. Which is just kind of an odd thing thing to say. And Satan came with him, and he would ask, can I, can I, you know, can I go after this servant, because you say that he's blessed, he'll never turn from you. I bet you he will, I bet you he will. And here's what, and here's what Job, here's what Satan says about Job. Job honors God for a good reason, is what he says in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 9. And basically what he's saying is, you know, God, people will only love you because of what you give them. Satan's saying to God, people will only follow you and commit to your ways if there is an immediate benefit to them. God, you take away the blessing, you take away the toys, you take away those things, and you'll take away their devotion, and you'll take away their worship. And here's what I see through that. And a lot of times this happens, this happens to me, and this happens to a lot of people I know, that God's gifts to us have taken the place of God. And that's called idolatry. My favorite definition of idolatry is simply to take something other than God and make it our ultimate focus. And we take these good things, these things that God has given us, and we have them replace God. When we make it the most important things in our lives and we pursue it with all cost, we be depend on that gift to give, to, to give us good things and to help us out of bad situations, that's idolatry. Do you see what I mean? We Look at it this way. Money can be your idol. Technology can be your idol. Acceptance can be your idol. Family can even be your idol. Ezekiel chapter 16, God compares these idols uh, in our life to lovers. Here's what he says in chapter 16. I will hand you over to your lovers, but eventually they will destroy you. In other words, God is saying, these other lovers, if that's what you really want, then I will allow you to chase after them. I will hand you over to them. We talked about this word hand over last week. I'll hand you over to them, but you need to know that that will hurt you and that will damage you. Damage You You can give your love and devotion to amassing wealth, but eventually that lover will betray you. You can give your love and devotion to, to gaining acceptance, but eventually that lover will shatter you. You can give your love and devotion to gaining, to, to, to gaining a particular dream, but eventually that lover will disappoint you possible, in other words. The part of the reason you feel so broken in the midst of your shattered dream is that you gave your love and devotion to your plans and your dreams instead of God. That's something to keep in mind, because no matter how worthy, no matter how compelling, no matter how good that dream may be, a dream makes a worthless God. Job chapter 2, verse 4-7. through Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Okay, he's already been stripped of everything that he owns. Now, Satan says, okay, let me just make him really miserably ill. Let me just make him really, really sick. Then let's see what he does. So, as as if it wasn't enough that, that all the things that he cared about had been stripped from him, now he's in this immense physical pain. And this time, Job reacts a little differently. He doesn't sin, but he starts to struggle, he starts to ask questions and slips into a season of discouragement. Have you ever done that? When life isn't turning out the way you thought it should, when you start asking questions, when you start, you know, being discouraged and saying, God, what in the world are you doing? This happens in the land of ooze, where it can get really dark. Sometimes this darkness and last for a long time, and with this darkness comes these unanswerable questions and the gnawing sense that things are not as they should be. The unanswerable questions of why seems to make our suffering much worse, doesn't it? Have you ever wondered why it is we know things that we shouldn't know? Think about it this way: when Job lost his children and all of his possessions, he, he he knew something wasn't right. When a plane flies into buildings killing thousands. We know that's not right. When you see a a child who grows up with no one to take care of them, we know that's not right. When a nine-year-old dies from leukemia or a mother of three dies slowly of breast cancer, we know that's not right. Whether we believe in God, take that equation out of there, whether we believe in God or not, most of us know intuitively that there there are certain things that shouldn't happen in this world. It's that intuition that makes us want to ask why in the first place. But where does that question come from? Why do we have this sense that life is not just difficult, but the things are not the way they're supposed to be? You guys know what I'm talking about? You're just going, "That doesn't make sense. That's not right. I don't get that. That shouldn't be the way it is." To answer this question, we got to take a, a quick detour the back and it always seems to go here doesn't it to the back to the beginning of the book of genesis it always goes there to the book of genesis to adam and eve in the garden and when when we put when god put adam and eve in the garden everything in the world was the way it should be do you understand that everything was the way it should be throughout the creation process the creator said over and over it is it is good the first man and the first woman had everything they needed to be healthy and happy. And there was only one rule. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord put the man in the garden of Eden to care for it and work it. The Lord God commanded him, you may eat the fruit from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the fruit from the tree which gives the knowledge of good and evil. Did you notice what the forbidden fruit was? People say, oh, well, was it an apple? Was it a grape? What was the forbidden fruit? Here's what the forbidden fruit was. It was knowledge. It was the knowledge of good and evil. And once Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate that fruit, they would know too much. They would gain something they never had, something that would drive them crazy the rest of their lives. They would know when things are the way they should be and when things were all wrong. They would know the difference. And that, of course, is exactly what happened. And because they had introduced sin into the world at the same time, they were, they were now in double trouble. You know, they were, they were double, in a double bind, because they didn't only know, but now they were entering into sinful relationships and sinful world. Because they ate the fruit, the good they now understood and yearned for would always be out of their reach. And also because they'd eaten the fruit, they would have to live with that painful knowledge of knowing there's a difference between the two. And we've inherited this dilemma, no matter how hard we try. Life will never be quite the way you think it should be. That's why we find it so disappointing that things aren't the way they're supposed to be in our life. We get disappointed by that. And it's because there really is a way things are supposed to be. And according to the Bible, it's, it, it is stunning and it's splendid beyond our imagination the way it is supposed to be. What's interesting is there's this old Hebrew word uh, that prophets used to dream about the right way. And they had a word for it. And this word was shalom. And the word shalom derives from this word called shalem, meaning whole, complete, perfect, and full. Shalom, in other words, wasn't peace. It had that element to it. But shalom actually means all the things, the way they are supposed to be. So when you greet somebody with shalom, saying all the things the way they are supposed to be. And one day, according to the Bible, they will be that way, but not yet. Not while we're living in this and, land of ooze. While we're here, we're going to keep running into situations that make us wonder why. Why is this happening? Why is it going on? What is that happening to the world? Why are there killings here? Why are there earthquakes there? Why do people act that way? Why do people treat each other that way? Why does somebody with 20 items get in the eight-item lane? We're going to have all these questions all the time. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but only human beings look for meaning and suffering. As much as Disney wants us to think that and to believe that animals do this, they really don't. You know, you don't, you don't see a bunch of buzzards or blackbirds or those ugly black things that are beside the road and maybe they're ripping uh, into the carcass of a dead deer. They're not processing why the senseless act of violence happened to this one of God's creations. You know, these, these birds are not sitting around in a circle crying God, God, why? Why did this happen to one of your most graceful creatures of all? Why, God, why? No, man, they're just eating. Only human beings have this longing for meaning in the midst of incomprehensible, senseless pain. Only human beings have that. Only humans have this desire to ask, why? What's the purpose? Why does God allow it? Why is everything so messed up? And that desire, that need, only increases the suffering we experience. And here's one thing I want you to hear today. Because I was told we shouldn't do this. As a Christ follower, you shouldn't do this. And here's what I'm going to tell you today. Doubt and questions are okay. If you believe, if you have faith, then you will always be susceptible to doubt. Stop believing, you'll stop doubting. Stop believing, you won't see any need to question God. Stop believing, and you won't be angry anymore. At least not at God you see what I mean? The more you believe in the possibilities of shalom, the way that things ought to be, the more you long for the kingdom of God to be ushered into a hurting world. The more likely you will fall into doubt from time to time, especially when you find yourself living in a plan B reality. You know, for a better part of the book of Job, about 28 chapters worth, uh, Job shoots his questions towards God. He's just asking question after question after question after question. He expresses plenty of anger, plenty of confusion from this very, very dark place that he's in. And the whole situation, and this just, this, I'm going, yep, I understand this, because just when his situation couldn't get any worse, know what happens? Three friends show up. They have their advice for him. And so these three friends show up who suggest to Job over and over that this calamity was brought on by his own sin. Hello? Anybody ever been told, well, if you wouldn't have been in sin, this wouldn't have happened to you? Anybody? Yeah. Job chapter 8, verse 4. He made your children pay for their sins, so why don't you turn to him and start living right? Then he will decide to rescue and restore you to your place of honor. Thanks, friends. Didn't you just read back a little bit ago that says I was upright and righteous in God's eyes? Let's go back that chapter, shall we? Job's friends feel very familiar to me. Their argument sounds very much like the common religious misconceptions that I grew up with. It was often impressed upon me that people were not healed because they didn't pray enough or fast enough or read their Bible enough or even believe enough. If life wasn't working out and God wasn't showing up in the way that you wanted God to show up, that meant that you just weren't measuring up to what God wanted. I'm telling you, some of you have been hurt by that. I am so sorry. The real problem with this assumption, of course, is not just that it leads to out-of-control legalism. The real problem with this—it's just not true. Peter uh, a writer, this is what he says. He writes about uh, uh, Job. This is what he says. Job was an innocent sufferer. His friends had no room for the confusing in-between, no room for mystery. Like many Christians today, they overestimated their grasp of truth they played God and stood in God's shoes. Perhaps you thought that when you became a Christian, you would have all the answers to life's difficulties. But here's a reality check for you. Being a Christian, if you are one, doesn't mean we know how to respond to everything that comes our way. Being a Christian doesn't mean we have all the answers. And I am so Frustrated by this version of Christianity where we actually think that our theology can fit onto a bumper sticker, a t shirt, or a bracelet. The reality is, it just isn't that simple. We Christians often have more questions than we do answers. We sometimes lack faith that will give us our sustained hope. Even though we know God is with us, sometimes, sometimes we Feel utterly and completely alone. Even though we believe, we doubt. And that's okay. Job is a reminder to all of us who live in the an- land of ooze. There will be times when you'll be seemingly doing everything right, and out of nowhere, you'll be thrust into a plan B. Everyone experiences times of hurt and crisis time when life doesn't turn out the way that it shouldn't turn out. For we all live in this land of ooze. But, Job is also a reminder of how we respond to God during these times, how it really, really matters. Listen, we are called to be faithful to God, even when it seems he hasn't been faithful to us. We are called to love him even when we feel abandoned. We are called to look for him even in the midst of the darkness. We are called to worship him even through our tears. And my question for you Can you do that? Have you done that? When plan B is playing havoc with your life and God doesn't seem to be doing a thing, can you still worship Him? Can you still follow Him? When He's not orchestrating the circumstances of your life in the way that you desire, do you still trust Him enough to seek Him with reckless abandon? We must be willing, if necessary, to abandon the life that we've planned and dreamed of in order to receive the life that our God has authored for us. Let's just be real honest here. Time and time again in your life, you're going to feel as if God isn't showing up. You're going to feel like God isn't healing, like He isn't restoring, He isn't releasing His mighty power. Your prayers are bouncing off a glass ceiling. And the question is, when that happens, how are you going to respond? What do you do? Are you going to trust Him? Are you going to follow Him? Are you going to worship Him? Because He knows better. He knows better than we do. We need to worship him. We need to follow him. We need to love him. We need to follow, I love that, with reckless abandon. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know, this is God speaking, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to harm not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Nowhere in that verse does he say, I know your plans and I want you to, to have those plans I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future and sometimes we've abandoned that because we think our dream is better than God's dream and then we give up on God and that leads to shattered dreams, unmet expectations. What do you do when that happens? And you know, a lot of times we don't want God. A lot of times we want what God will give us, don't we? We see God as a vending machine. Okay, A seven. Thank you for the money, God. Thank you for the job, God. Thank you for the hot wife, God. Thank you for the hunky husband. Thank you for the disciplined kids. Thank you for the nice car. Thank you for the health. We'll get mad when we have to shake the machine. It doesn't come out the way we want it to, and it eats our money, right? And if we do that too much, the machine's going to fall intact. receive the life that god has authored for you let me just share this with you john chapter 16 verse 33 and this is jesus speaking he's he's talking about all the life that he's going to give and i have says this i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation I have overcome the world. You see, the central piece to our story is the cross. What Jesus did there, he overcame the world to help you with your shattered dreams, your unmet expectations. That's why he came. That's why he does what he does. And you may not understand that, you may not believe that, and you know, I'm just telling you today. We want to offer that to you. There's a real God who loves you. That the God that was there with Job is there with you. The God that, and if you re- read through the Book of Job, God ends up restoring Job, giving him more than he had before, because he was faithful. And I think that's a pu- uh, that's a picture for us of the future heaven that. We're Give you so much more, but it may not be your plan. But he has a life for you. See, we really believe that when people die, they really do go one of two places forever. You either spend eternity away from God, and away from His presence, which is, is hell, I believe, or you can go to be heaven to sit with God and, and, and sit with Christ. And that's what Jesus came is to bridge that gap because there is a chasm between us and God because God is holy, and we're not, and there is a there is a gap there is a chasm between us and jesus came to this earth uh, as a man without any sin without any blame and he was put on a cross and he died he was crucified a painful painful death at that moment that he died all the sins because god says that for the wages of sin is death there has to be a penalty paid for our sin and our wrongdoing and our, and our anger and, and everything against God. There has to be a penalty paid for that, and that is death. When Christ came, he paid that. Because it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's available to anyone. And Jesus has stood in that gap for you and me so that we could have an eternity with God. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy now. Doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers now. Doesn't mean you're not going to continue to have plan B's in this life now. But we have a future hope. I hope you understand that. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're here. That's why we give our life to this. That's why James is willing to come on without any pay to reach youth. Because he understands that is a central point of our story. That's why. No other reason. For you. Because we want you to be in a hand-held relationship with Jesus Christ. We want that for you. We pray for that for you. In the midst of your plan B. Next week, we're going to conclude this plan B. We're going to have a celebration. It's going to be incredible. In the next week, we're going to have a celebration of baptisms. Some of you need to get baptized. Some of you need to come to Christ and come to Jesus today. So I want to pray with you. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray that uh, as we gather here, as we're here, as, as, our, as, our, as we're waiting for you to speak to us in this moment, Lord, I, I just pray that you would you would do something right now You would speak to our hearts, but I just know that there's some of us here that are living the shattered dream. That we have all kinds of questions. We have more questions than we have answers. We don't understand it. We're carrying stuff from our past still that we can't get rid of. We're carrying, you know, all these things. And we're why God? Why God? Why God? Why does this keep happening to me? I've given my life to you. Why God? Why? Why is my child sick? Why is my mom or dad sick? Why am I sick? Why? Why God? Why isn't my marriage working out? why did i lose my job why god god in the midst of those questions i just i would ask right now that you would come and give us that peace that passes all understanding that we can we can have freedom in knowing that as christ followers that we can have questions we can have doubts but through all of those things we're going to continue to follow you we're going to continue to worship you Give us a restored confidence today, Lord, in who we are and who you created us to be. Help us to to take that thing and abandon our dreams, our life, and replace it with the life that you have authored for us. Lord, I know sometimes that dream that we have is going to come back to us in a much better and bigger way because you've authored that. I just pray for that, Lord. I just want to pray, Lord, if there is anybody here I just want to ask you, if there's anybody here and, and you have not taken that step of faith for Jesus today, you have not done that, or maybe maybe when you are a kid and maybe you went to church and you walked away, and maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I really need that relationship. I really need to believe in that relationship that Jesus stepped in the gap for me. I want to give you that opportunity today. And if, if that's you, I just want you to just to lift your hand up right now so I can pray for you. If that's you, and you say, you know what, I need Jesus. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else just say I need I need Jesus today. I need him in my life. anyone here that says, you know what, I need prayer to be able to do that today. Is there anyone? Yeah, Yep. Yep. Anyone else? Don't be afraid. That's what God has. This is what God has for us. Alright, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I want to thank you for what you're doing in our midst here today. Uh, I want to thank you for a life that has, uh, has come to you today to walk in a relationship with you. Uh, I, I pray for her that she... Uh, that she would continue to grow, that we can come alongside her and, and give her uh, tools and give her relationships to show her you even more and, and, and deeper. Well, I pray for those this morning that um, are just sitting here and they barely made it to church because of they're mad at you or you think they think that you've abandoned them. I, I just pray for them in the midst of, of what is going on in their life, that they can just fully and recklessly follow you with reckless abandon, may be able to follow you today. Lord, right, I thank you. Thank you for what you